This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is David A. Goodman, writer and consulting producer for Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. to another episode of Warp 5. I am your host, Patrick Devlin. Join with me, as always, my good friend, Brandon Shamatala. Brandon, how are you today? I'm doing good! I was hiding, hunting elephants and rhinoceros! <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> there's that. Uh, <laughs> Brandon, is there's a giant over there, and he's friendly... <laughs> Yes, big friendly giant. My name's Patrick, though. You can be a little nicer. Not you, my friend over here. I'm not even his friend anymore. Man. Okay. Um, Brandon yelling about... You are my friend, and you do things for me. <laughs> and you only listen to me. Um, yes. While I play my bone flute. <laughs> what a broken neck. Um, so... so <laughs> So actually, this is kind of what we will be talking about this episode. But before we get into that, uh, Brandon, did we have any uh, comments on the Babel Conference from our last few episodes? Yes, we did. So um, from episode 185, Archer should have served them bacon. Uh, we had a comment from Janet Lee on our thoughts for the trip's attitude towards the Paul that I had in the episode there. Uh, so Janet Lee said, Trip's passive aggressiveness towards the Paul is nothing new which is why I found E2 so frustrating. But if his depression seemed to come out of left field, blame Connor Trenier. In a Blu-ray documentary, which I still haven't watched, I've got the Blu-rays, but I still haven't watched any of the bonus stuff. <laughs> oh, man. He said that he asked the writers to have him walk away because he felt that they yanked Tripp's spine out. I don't know quite what that means. Indeed, it feels like they wrote this at the last minute. Do you agree with Connor? And why do you think Tripp didn't reveal to Archer the real reason he was leaving. How you guys described the trip to Paul relationship at this point is what I call not owning the angst. I don't have a problem with angst itself, but the execution is terrible when Bound resolves this faster than they brought on the depression. Don't pull the rug out from the characters only to give them an easy way out. So I agree with her. I think that Bound resolves way too quickly what they've tried to establish here 
and they established this depression and him leaving the ship so quickly. And I think we said on the episode two that I really think the reason they got him off the ship was just so that they could have a way to bring him back on the ship and save them in Affliction and Divergence, which is the next two episodes. Because... They they wrote themselves in a corner, I think. They're like, look, we want to do this episode and we want to have this scene. And the only way we could do it is if somebody comes from the other ship and it, we need it to be Trip. I think that was their determination. So, No, but I did go back and forth with Janet about this. And uh, I said the one reason why I thought that they made him not tell Archer is because they're such good friends. He figured Archer would talk him out of it. And that's why they wrote it that way. And okay. then the other thing was about the spineless. She doesn't like the spineless comment because of um, she feels it's it's like them saying he's not a man, like it's a it's a gender issue. But I don't find that to be true. That that being spineless itself is just that he has no form, he has no shape, he has no strength to stand up for himself. In my opinion, right? Yeah, like it's a person who's weak and just gives in to people. That's what the term spineless means. I don't think it has anything to do with gender. Um, like women could be spineless as well as men could be spineless. So. Yeah, right. It's just if you don't have a spine, you can't stand up. So you can't stand up for yourself. Right. You know, it's how right. I take it. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I haven't seen that documentary. I haven't seen that behind the scenes stuff. Someday I'm going to get to those bonus features. Uh, right now I'm I'm overwhelmed because I'm behind on my Game of Thrones rewatch. Because as of this recording, it starts next Sunday, and I've got like two seasons to watch by then and I don't know if I'll be able to do it <laughs> oh that doesn't sound like it's so. likely yeah I know so <laughs> anywho um, I, it's a rewatch so I just I have only seen season 7 once so I really want to rewatch it again before next week so gotcha anyways excellent well thanks for the feedback Janet we really appreciate it it's always nice to hear from you uh, but yeah, getting back to our topic and our weird introduction to the show, we're going to be doing movie night again tonight, and we're talking about Son of Frankenstein. So we're coming close to the end of the on-screen mentions for the movie nights, movies. So we've got some fun ideas planned for how we're going to go and expand on that later on. Uh, but we did have a question for you guys, the listeners. Maybe you could provide some feedback for those that are listening along with Movie Night. Uh, so the next one we are going to do, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and assume that Trip showed that as a part of the four-part series. Uh, because I've never seen it, and it'll be fun. Uh, but after that, if you go to Memory Alpha as what's listed, they talk about Bride of Chaotica. And so I want to hear what the audience thinks we should do for that if anybody has any feedback i don't particularly just want to watch the voyager episode bride of chaotica because i don't particularly like it so i was almost thinking we could do um you know like what are some of the space people that were that that uh, captain proton was inspired by you know like uh i don't know all their names but one of those cheesy 30 serials or whatever oh that would be interesting instead because then that's you know, the one timeline, it's it's uh, Captain Proton, but in our timeline, it's Buck Rogers. Right, right, right. So maybe we could watch a Buck Rogers or something like that. So, Or we could watch Duck Dodgers, like a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons, right? <laughs> yes, we could. Instead, that'd be kind of fun. And Marvin the Martian. <laughs> Marvin the Martian, I love it. So tell us, audience, what would you like us to do? Because it would be weird if we just watched a Voyager episode for our Enterprise podcast, yeah. <laughs> right? But... You know, I guess we could. So let's let's hear from the listeners. Let's see what they want us to do for for the Bride of Chaotica one. 
or we could just skip it because it's it's just they don't even talk about it. It's just on a monitor. So if you're like, ah, eh, we we could technically even just skip that one because it's it is just on screen and it's just as an on screen appearance as an Easter egg. So technically, we don't even have to do it. And then we would just move right on to the Exorcist. So because that'll be the one after that. So let let us know. Put us in the show notes for this episode. Tell us what uh, what you want us to do, or if you want us to just skip right ahead to the Exorcist. Sounds good. So, I guess let's talk about Son of Frankenstein now. Let's do okay, it. Okay, what do you think of this movie? Um, you know what? So I watched this last night, and I actually really enjoyed this movie, and I it made me want to go back and rewatch both Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Because when Brandy and I covered Bride of Frankenstein, I didn't really enjoy it that much. There was some good stuff in it, but I, I remember when I, I've only seen Bride of Frankenstein like two or three times. And I remember the first time I watched it, I loved it. And I don't know if I'd seen it again in between, but when I watched it with Brandy, I'm like, man, this movie is just weird. So, I don't know, I might have missed something when I watched it that time. Because this one is like the third one, and it doesn't seem like people would think this is popular. But, I mean, even on on uh, Letterboxd, it's got a three and a half average. Yeah, so, everyone I know that likes the Frankenstein movies has always said that Son of Frankenstein was their favorite. But Okay. And I, could, I guess I could see that. I mean, I guess I'm not a huge fan of the Frankenstein movies in general. This one was probably... Uh, this one was definitely better than Bride of Frankenstein for me. I didn't get to record with you for that one because my computer had broken and I had a whole bunch of other things going on. But I did watch Bride of Frankenstein preparing for it, and um, I agreed with what you guys said. It was just a weird, odd movie. I, I didn't like Bride of Frankenstein really at all. But I did. I found myself enjoying this one more than I have the other two. I kind of did, too. You know, I like. I really liked the idea of Igor being friends with Frankenstein's monster and him manipulating him with this twisted friendship into having him kill these people and how they're all like, everybody thinks it's Igor, but Igor's always got this solid alibi of him playing this flute, right? right. So it's like, can't be me. I was playing the flute, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. It, and it's it, creepy. Everybody's like complaining at him saying, shut that damn flute up, right? Yeah. Yep, so now they all know he's not the killer. Yeah. So, um, all right, so first of all, I, I found it interesting the, the way they decided to, to mold this story, The Son of Frankenstein, because all right, you have Frankenstein, right? Then you have The Bride of Frankenstein, but it's really Frankenstein's monster's bride. But then The Son of Frankenstein yep. is actually the son of Frankenstein who comes yep. back from America, right? To And I loved how they, they dropped that. That, like, what is it? That, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That fan shade where they're like, can you believe it? All these people are even just calling the monster Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't even know what this is. Like, it's, it's clearly a reference to the last movie and it's clearly a, a reference to the audience because most people think Frankenstein is the name of the monster and it's not. It's just the monster. Right, right. right it's Frankenstein's so monster. I, I thought that was really. Quite the tongue-in-cheek little joke there. I thought that yeah, that was pretty, was pretty good. Um, the uh, but I, I liked. I did enjoy. I was confused at first starting it, but I did enjoy. Like the townspeople were very against Frankenstein just because of his last name, and he yeah. was trying to battle back against you know his father's uh, legacy. And then you know it turns out he just kind of does the same thing. 
Yeah, he just does it again. Yeah, so he's like they're like trapped. It's like the the curse of the Frankenstein family or something like that. But he does come back to. I I didn't quite realize. I don't think I caught it before that the town that he lived in was called Frankenstein's. But in this movie, it is called Frankenstein. That's the name of the town. Yes. And uh, so the the people are upset because now they're just associated with this monster, and they're all like, "Oh, tourists don't come here anymore," and and you know our town is dying, but. Son of Frankenstein, Wolf, his name is Wolf, so Wolf Frankenstein, I don't know if that's like a reference to the Universal Monster series of movies or whatever, but um, they bring, he brings his wife and his kid to this castle, which is a really epic, awesome looking castle on the inside, and he, he wants to try and vindicate his father, because his opinion is that it's all the psychic. At the time, it's not Igor, um, but it's the hunchback sidekick grabbing the wrong brain. He blames everything on the brain. Right. And he says, it's not my dad's fault, it's this other guy's fault for grabbing the wrong brain. Which is, you know, like, it's an interesting concept. Because while we know now the study of the brain doesn't work like this, they're like, look, this is a human normal brain and this is a killer's brain. Like, it doesn't quite work like that. But that's what they were trying to go for at the time. So, continuing with that story, well, maybe if he grabbed a normal brain, the monster wouldn't have been a monster. And he would have been just like a big teddy bear dude named Bob. Yeah, big teddy bear. I mean, well, if you just watch... Well, he was fluffy like a teddy bear. He was. If you watch the original movie, he's not really that much of a monster anyway, right? Like, he ends up killing the girl, but that was an accident, and no one should have known anyway, but whatever. Wrong movie. And, like, so Mm -hmm. by this one, by this one, now we have, like, a certified killer. Right. Which we didn't have in one. You know, when that dummy was super dead, he wasn't... He wasn't a certified killer, but now, you know, he's a hitman for hire on, on you know, because he listens to his friend, which is an interesting yeah. concept because, right, I don't know if in 1939 this was like as big of a thing, you know, that that was, people understood that, but now if you go back and look at like, I don't know, ID or whatever, and you see a lot of stories of people who killed someone because their friend wanted them to or something, you know, or a lover manipulated them into it or... To get out of a marriage or something crazy, you know? Yeah. I th- and that's what I really liked about this story. I liked seeing this. So you got this friendship of these two, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what word to call them. Like, like e- Igor came back from the dead. Like, he was brought back from the dead, basically. His neck broke, which he wouldn't be walking if his neck broke. But, you know, we'll suspension of disbelief for a minute here. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cool when he, when he, he hits it. And and it's, it's like, like knocking wood. on a door. It's like, so did they install like a wooden neck for him or something? Right. It doesn't make any sense. You know what? I leave that up to, I guess people had less knowledge of biology overall, you know, the general public in 1939. So yeah. whatever. We got to file that under. We, we just got to go with it and we'll file that under our neck cannon. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> neck cannon. There we go. Um, but yeah, so. Nobody likes Igor. Everybody's upset at Igor because he was stealing dead bodies. And, you know, I think it's funny that they brought him in for that mini trial and they're like, are you stealing dead bodies? He's like, no. Yeah. They're like, don't lie to us or we'll kill you. Yeah. Like, and then they're like, well, we can't hang him again. He's already been hanged. He's and, and he was found, you know, he was pronounced dead and everyone else has ever been pronounced dead is dead. Right. 
Now, okay, so I wanted to talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up because it, I thought that was a really interesting point that they made where the judge on this thing is like, look, the guy was pronounced dead. That means the justice was served. If he came back to life, that's not our problem, and we can't <laughs> stop for justice on this guy. <laughs> but the other, <laughs> the other guy made a really good point. If you commit another crime, yes. you should be put to death again. Again, which is another very valid point. <laughs> so, like the judge, is like, no, we can't hang him twice. I don't care if he kills seven more people. Like, what? <laughs> You've been punished for the one crime. This isn't double jeopardy. You're not getting tried for the same crime twice here. Okay, right. <laughs> they're not just like but, picking him up six years later and hanging him again for fun. Like this, but is, that's what. <laughs> Everybody else wants to do. They're like, if you're lying to us, we'll hang you again. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know. They're just berating him on the stand. I don't know. There's some, there's some really great discussion, but I think that was the case with hangings. It, for, for some reason, I have this in my head though, where if somebody went to be hung, that's why they would test the rope with something heavy, right? They would test the rope with something heavy. The bag would drop, and if the rope snapped they would replace the rope right okay but if the that guy then went to be hung and the rope snapped they would consider that divine intervention and then he would be let go i don't know why i have this in my head but i think i've heard this somewhere now that you say it yes it that sounds right i mean it doesn't sound right that's a ridiculous way to do justice but it sounds like that actually happened Mm mm-hmm Maybe it's because the, there's a Twilight Zone episode where that happened and the rope broke. So maybe that's why I have it. I think it's the episode Dust where they maybe. go to hang a guy and uh, the guy sells him the strong rope. The rope breaks anyways and they let him go because they're like, well, we God must have intervened. And I think that's kind of what he's saying there too. He says it's the devil that brought him back, but, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that – what. It's not that important what's the reason he's back. But, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, in my head, I, I kind of have that same, you know, like if 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 the death penalty fails, then you've skirted death, you know. Yeah. And I have that in my head for not just hangings, like for everything. So you think if they go to electrocute somebody, then? Uh, well, Because see, I think with electrocutions, that. like they check the heart, and if it's still beating, they zap them again. Yeah, I I think so. I think you're right. But I, I have heard stories, and they're probably, you know, urban legends of, like, them going to throw the switch and the power going out in the building at the time. Yeah. So then, that's it. We couldn't electrocute him, so he's free. Like, which is a ridiculous way to do justice. Like, oh, he's a serial killer. He's killed hundreds and hundreds of people. Oh, there's no power. All right, let him go. Oh, no one plugged it in. We should have checked that first. Like, you know, like... Mm. But yeah. for some reason, I have it in my head that if the the way to to execute someone fails, then they're just let free. I'm sure it has some urban legend somewhere that we probably I probably should have looked up before talking about this for ten minutes. But mm-hmm. oh well. Well, I mean, it's just it's an interesting idea. I liked some of the stuff that was brought up in this movie quite a bit. I thought it was a pretty interesting film. Um, quite a lot of stuff to talk about. So we've got the the peril that this son has put in, right? Um, but which is who I was doing at the start. Like we had this really cute little boy in this movie, right? Who was who was just 
absolutely cute. He was totally cute. Yeah, he was going hunting with his gun early yes. on, um, which was a good scene. And the only thing about this family that bothers me is that, I don't know, the wife bothers me. Okay. Why is that? She She's just so afraid of this castle that it, it gets annoying at some point. You think that, well, see, the way that I interpreted it is that she's afraid of the legacy, right, because of, and she's afraid of what her husband is turning into. That's how I interpreted it. So yeah, she's, you're, she, you're probably right. I don't know. I think it's just the fact that, like, every conversation ends with her saying something about being afraid of the place yeah. annoyed me. You know what I mean? Like, I think they, they just kind of harped on it a little more mm-hmm. than I'd like. But that's storytelling in 1939, so. Yeah. Yeah, this was in 1939. Um, one of the things that I thought should bother me, but didn't bother me, like w- w- was the scene where Frankenstein's playing the darts and that inspector is in there. And he's getting all agitated and upset because everybody's accusing him, right, and blaming him for the deaths, blaming him on his father's experiments, and he's getting all defensive and upset. But that's exactly what's going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yes. So, but it worked for me. It it I liked the fact that he was denying it and getting agitated because he was getting agitated because he knew that was going on, but he was still trying to maintain the defense because his original idea to come there was to defend his father. Yes. No, I, I thought that worked really well because, like you said, at this point, he, his original intent was not to continue his father's work. His original right. intent on coming was to save his father's name and... Whatever, you know. But as this goes on, he becomes more and more like his father. So, But he's already dug his heels in, so to speak, and now he's going to maintain that lie, and no one can know he's doing this anyway, you know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for him to keep getting agitated, you know, I've said it a lot. um, When it comes to, uh, we'll take something that's a little less uh, important, but baseball, right, when all the players were getting blamed, oh, he did steroids, he did steroids. Like, if I was someone who was or was not using steroids, I'd be screaming from the mountaintops, it wasn't me. Because when you say nothing, you look guilty. Okay. So that's kind of how I read this scene. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to try and shout down the fact that they're, they they all think he is doing it by just being louder about not doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I liked it. It worked for me. It worked for me quite a bit. Um, I liked the guy that played the son of Frankenstein. I thought he was very good. Yes. And I thought this was a very interesting story. There was one, there's a couple things that I blame on 1939 storytelling. One of the things that didn't quite work for me was when, um, like, the fact that this castle was sitting over top of a sulfur pit. Like, I don't remember that from the other two movies. But, like, with how close this lab was that was sitting right over the sulfur pit, like, that sulfur would be, you would smell that in the house. Yeah. Yeah, they just kind of ignored it. Yeah. And then, like, he's just sitting there working in this sulfurous environment. Like, what, has he got no no mask? Like, no breathing mask? Well, he walks over. No, I understand that. it's 39. I'm making a joke. Forget that. He walks over to it the first time, and you're like, oh, sulfur. Like, you would have opened, yeah. even if you don't smell it outside the building. There's no roof on the building either anymore, but as soon as you walked in, you'd be like, oh, man, that's sulfur. There's like eggs in here. Yeah, like, yeah. and it was the but first health spa. The first health spa, which, which you know, salt, like those types of, of hot tubs, you know, there are places like that, like natural mineral resorts, right, yes. where they would 
have a natural spa because they believe these minerals have healing properties and whatnot. So I would buy that. I just think it's weird that they that this is so close to the house, house and they wouldn't smell it. But the yeah. other thing that bothered me for 1939 storytelling was when he goes there and then Igor drops that boulder on him and he's like, hey, you come down here. And Igor comes down. He's like, why did you do that? He's like, I thought you were going to kill me. Yes, what Igor says, and he's like, what? That's ridiculous. And Igor's like, oh, well, well, why don't you follow me down here into this creepy passageway? <laughs> and the guy's like, sure. Yeah, that I just chalked that up to that's how they told stories. Yeah. But it was so, a little ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you know, that whole scene was like, it just looked like a bad 30s movie. I mean, like, yeah. he drops a boulder, he's like, six to go, hey, I got this. Like... Yeah. Oh, man, just shoot him. Yeah, so a couple of things didn't work in the film. Like, there's some definite weak spots in it, but there is some there is some really good stuff. The other really weak spot for me was the end. So, like, I liked that the the son was put in peril because, you know, it, it kind of defeats that trope of, you know, the woman's always in peril or whatever. Uh, I liked how Victor Frankenstein, or not Victor, sorry, Wolf Frankenstein, like, swung in and knocked Frankenstein into the sulfur pit and then we had that you know precursor to terminator 2 right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got everything short of the thumbs up in the air right what he was burning uh but then it cuts immediately to him leaving on the train saying okay here's the keys to the castle and the deed and you guys do whatever you want with it bye take yeah. care and they're all like yay <laughs> yeah it was a little weird a little uh I do like that the monster is dead, kind of, maybe, sort of, at this point. Until the next movie. Yeah, until they feel like re- revising him. But, yeah. uh, yeah, it is, they just, that's just the way it happened back then, I guess. I mean, I haven't watched enough 1930s movies to know if just jumping forward in the story to going home is a normal thing. Like, yeah, movies of this era, they, they the climax happened, there was one more scene sometimes... And then it was done. Like, one more quick scene that was, like, a funny scene or a happy scene, and then the movie's done. Like, movies were done quick in this era. That's a very common thing. Yeah, then, I mean, I, I can't really... Like you said, it, I guess it doesn't work for me, but that's because I'm watching it with an eye from this era. Right, right. And it's not fair to judge that by these standards, if that was the norm. Yeah. So, anywho. Um... I don't know, but I mean, other than that, I thought the movie was a lot of fun. I thought it was great for a third movie. I was really impressed with it. You know, I really liked the set design. I loved the set design of the castle. I thought it looked great. When they were and, inside the castle, I like the, the two big balconies and sitting yeah. at the table. I loved the look of that. I even right. loved the set design, even on the the uh, lab with the roof caved in, and yeah, when he went inside, it was just you know mangled inside and everything i i really i really dug the sets yeah and you know what i noticed too on this one um now i get it because you know technology is limited so in the first one you know sometimes you could look at it and you'd actually see it wasn't meant to be watched at such good definition televisions you know mm-hmm. so you could see the streaks in the backdrops and stuff i didn't notice right. that this time i mean they might okay. have been there but i i noticed it watching frankenstein i did not notice it here Okay, yeah, yeah. So you think the site were painted better? Yeah, you know, or uh, they filmed it at a better angle or something, you know. So I just, I it just felt more 
You know, because when you see the streaks, it kind of takes you out of the moment. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of feel, ugh, they're on a set, right? You know, I mean, I know they're on a set, but yeah. you don't want to think about it. And this, this movie, I didn't notice that. So I thought the sets were really well done. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that, I don't know if this was the case or not, I didn't look it up, but the guy that Frankenstein killed on the horse and carriage looked like the father of the little girl that died in the first movie. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I don't know if it was or not. I, I should probably do some research. I should, should probably have done that ahead of time. But to me, it looked like the father from that movie. And I'm like, oh, that's that's a really interesting callback then, if it, that it is. Yeah. At least that, so it was he was close enough looking that that's who I thought it was. Right. And that's horrible for that family, huh? Yeah. And then, like, the way that Frankenstein tried to hide the murder, you know, again, it's showing that the monster's evolving and becoming intelligent because, you know, he broke his neck. He threw him underneath the, the cart. And then had the horses drive over him. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that was the um, that was the scene right after he had to leave the the dinner, right? Uh, Yes. No. The 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 dinner was later because he went. He got called to that murder. That's why he left the dinner was to go investigate that murder. Right. That's what I mean. So this was this was the murder that he had to leave for, right? Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I found it interesting because he said something about, like, marks on the neck, and he's like, we won't know until you have an autopsy. Like, I just thought that was a cool little back and forth there. Yes. You know, and, and th- the scene they made, like, they had a woman, I guess the guy's wife or whatever, in the room yeah. there, and when he, like, lifts up the blanket, like, she goes into hysterics, which was, it's heartbreaking, but it's kind of cool, you know, because mm-hmm. I know he's not really dead in real life, but. Right, but it's his wife, so she'd be very upset by that. Right, right, it's just a good scene, you know. Yeah. Then the the only other thing that I felt was weird, and it was weird, it was an interesting character trait, but it felt weird at first, the first couple of times we saw it, was this in- investigator with this wooden arm. No, I, like, why'd they choose that? So, yeah, it was a very interesting defining trait for this character, because, so when he was a boy, apparently the monster ripped his arm out, right? Ripped it out of his socket as a little boy, and so now he's got this wooden arm, and he he couldn't get into the military, so he's just this investigator, and he's kind of sad and upset by this. But it just, be, because it's not a real arm, like, he had to manipulate it. So when he wanted it lifted, he'd have to lift it himself. Right. And when he got to the house, the, the uh, we, we, he was, okay, so the first time we saw him, he was just sitting down, and his arm was really straight. But when he gets to the house is the first time that he has to move it. And I've never seen this in a movie before, and it it looked humorous. So I'm like, is this supposed to be a comedic element? But they weren't playing the character for comedic. So it threw me off at first. But then I thought it was a really fascinating character trait for for the inspector. And I mean, like, it, it was weird because they were doing funny things with it. Because when he was playing darts with Frankenstein, he put the darts in his wooden arm. Right. right because he couldn't hold them. So he, like stabbed the darts into his arm and then went to throw the darts and he would take them out of his arm. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know any amputees or anything like this, but I don't think that most of them, like, ca- would call attention to it by, like, jabbing stuff into it, like, all the time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I knew, um, I know one guy who has a, uh, from his knee down, uh, he played paintball, actually, oddly enough, with mm-hmm. me, uh, tournament paintball. But, um... No, I don't think he would like stab darts if he had an arm. And but 
Yeah, the other weird thing was um, I, I just found it odd that they even did this in general. Like, I don't know. I guess they just wanted to give him a backstory with the monster, but... Also, it was to give a backstory because Frankenstein's son is like, come on, who's even seen this guy do anything? Because, again, like, if you watch the first movie, he doesn't really do anything bad, right? Right. He, he's, yeah, he's he's chased simply because, you know, a, a really horrible accident, but... He's different. So in this, it gives it a story for, like, no, okay, this monster ripped my arm off. I guess. Okay. So... To show that the monster is evil. And it, again, it's the manipulation of Igor manipulating him that has turned him evil. So Right, it's all Igor's fault. Right, it's all Igor's fault. You know. Stupid Igor. <laughs> Igor. And his wooden neck. His wooden neck. Right, so, well, I don't think I have anything else to add to the film. I, th- I think uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything I want to talk about. Is there anything you wanted that we missed, Patrick? No, I think I think that about cover. Oh, the, you know what? One scene I did like actually. Before we move on, it's not it's not a big scene. It's not an important part of the movie or anything either, really. Um, in reality, but when they're going back and forth about the ladder into the sulfur pit, yeah. And Igor's like, "It's a cave." He's like, "A cave?" He's like, "Cave." He goes, "Where's the cave go?" It's just a cave. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that scene. Like it just. It was just funny to me. I just, it, I don't know. I don't get why I like that scene so much, but I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. It's fun watching these guys because, you know, people like Karloff and Lugosi, like, they just they just ate the scenes up, you know? Like, they just gave it their all. Like, Lugosi does a very good job in this as as Igor. I mean, he Lugosi's primarily known as Dracula. Right. Right? But he, like, all of these guys were in all of these monster movies. Like, Karloff was the mummy... You know, um, Lugosi was in some of the Wolfman movies. He was probably in some of the Mummy movies as well. Like, these guys just, they they cross-pollinated the genre. You know, they were in, like, all of the movies for, like, all of these series. And, you know, there's six primary universal horror film series. There's uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Mummy, and The Invisible Man are, like, the six primary universal horror series, so... But they're kind of all over these these actors, and Lugosi was so rich, and he did some great stuff. Like we on Warp Five, when we had Kevin, uh, or sorry, Keith R. A. De Canada on, we talked about White Zombie, and Lugosi was in that. Yes, you know, and he, and he did a really good job there as well. Like Lugosi, Lugosi's very talented, and I liked what he did in this for this for this role. So yeah, I think I think he's very talented. Like you said, uh, he did a great job here. And what's cool is like I don't know, maybe back then. It's because people knew they did horror, so they brought them. So they were—it's kind of a form of typecasting. But yeah. it's like, even in typecasting, they're they have way more range than a lot of other people who've been typecasted of of late. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not just playing the same character in a new movie. They're—it's a totally different horror movie character and methodology and style. You know, right? So excellent. So uh, what would you rate this? How many wooden body parts would you give this out of five? Out of five, um, I'm going to go with uh, four and an elbow. Wow. Yeah, I, I think the more I talk about the more I like this one. And I, I enjoy this one more than all the others. Okay. How about you? How many wooden body parts? Um, I was going to give it a three, but you know, I think I might up it to three and a half. You okay. know, um, but I I don't know. That's good. I I liked it. I I definitely liked it better than Bride of Frankenstein. I don't know if I liked it better than the first Frankenstein, but I definitely liked it more than Bride of Frankenstein. I thought it was a very interesting plot. I love the Igor plot. 
Um, I love that Igor was the main nemesis, and he was controlling and manipulating the monster, which, you know, I, I kind of, like, says, like, you know, people can be manipulated, right? Like, when you when you tell them you're their friends and stuff like that, like, and they don't have any other context, they can be manipulated easily. Yeah, right. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, cool. I, I like that. Yeah, no, I, I think I liked it better than the first one because the the murder the monster commits isn't, and the ending is kind of uh, to me. Mm-hmm. The first one? Yeah. I, yeah. A lot of the rest of the story is very good. It's just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then this one, I, I really enjoyed the reason why it gets a boost. I really enjoyed the fact that the monster was in a coma. You know, he was kind of down buried with the rest of them and... Mm-hmm. There was a lot going okay, on so that I, I enjoyed. I'm glad you brought that up. It was some, actually now that you brought this up, there is one other thing I wanted to ask about. <clears throat> if the monster has been in a coma all these years, who the heck has been doing all the killing? Yeah, that, now you're dropping it down to a four. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's the plot point that really bugged me. I, I know I forgot to talk about it during the main discussion. I, I didn't just, even think about it. Uh, so, but you're right; it doesn't make sense. He shouldn't have been in a coma for a long time is the problem. Yeah. It Maybe he just needed a recharge. His batteries finally died, so he killed a bunch until his batteries were dead. Right. If they didn't, yeah, if they just said it that way, then that would be fine. But uh, that's not really how they explained it out, right? They explained it like basically like Frankenstein died and the monster went into a coma. Yeah. There's our neck cannon. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what? Speaking of neck cannon, I enjoyed the fact that like when they, he talks about the bolts, he talks about them being like hardwired right to the heart, and that it's cosmic rays instead of electric. Like I don't know, I, I enjoyed that nonsense. It's nineteen thirty nine science, right? But I I liked it. I, I didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't bother me. Yeah, Discovery has time crystals now, so yes, which are apparently are a real thing. They're in, in quantum mechanics. I mean, they're not. I don't, know, I don't think anyone's ever found one. But <laughs> I don't. I don't have a time crystal necklace right. or a ring for my wife. But. So. Anywho, um, excellent. So next episode of Warp Five, we are going to have a special guest. We are going to be talking about the Tholians as a species, and we are going to have author James Swallow on. And we reached out to James, and we wanted to have him on because he had the Tholians in his last Star Trek Discovery novel, which was uh, the Saru novel. Uh, so I thought it was really be a good idea to have him on to talk about the Tholians. Um, now, we're not going to talk about the books very much. They might come up once or twice, uh, but we will primarily be discussing uh, the Tholian web, Future Tense, and In a Mirror Darkly, if you guys want to rewatch those before the next episode comes along. But talking about netcanon is not the only thing we've been doing on the network this week, so please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's like, oh, we can't be vague. And he's like, I'm not doing it. Is that vague enough for you? Yeah. That was so great. I know. Yes, Tyler's having these little quip answers, quick-witted, you know, when he's talking with uh, George O. And she's like, I'm going to trust you, but if you betray my trust, I'm going to hunt you down. Literary Treks. And we have the USS Titan, and they're they're going so far as to make modifications 
to people's quarters and the different living arrangements to account for various alien physiologies and all that sort of thing. Because not only do we have just a diversity of alien species, we have a diversity of people who aren't even humanoid, which I think is a really cool thing and something, you know, you can do that in a book at the time more easily than you could on television for sure. So I think they make really good use of the medium to present us with a crew like this. Warp 5. Because he had a near-death experience, he's now all of a sudden upset that T'Pol won't admit her feelings for him. Right. Right. And now, look, I can understand how the near-death experience triggers that, but this... The payoff of him asking to leave should have happened three episodes from now. Yes, he should be grown up enough... Earl Grey. I mean, of course, the difference with Jordy and Data is that they're regular characters and they're in almost every episode. <laughs> so there's more of that potential for interaction and Guinan isn't in it as many. And I know it wouldn't have been as possible at the time, but I can dream about the next generation starting with Guinan being like a regular there every week. I mean, hey, you know, Quark's a bartender and he's a regular on DS9. Why not Guinan? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go back in time and change that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Patrick, where can people find you when you're not manipulating me into killing people for you? When I'm not doing that, I'm usually on Twitter at magicdrop5. That's uh, a single, no spaces, the 5 is a digit. You can also find me popping up in the Babel Conference, and uh, I'm always I can always be found over on the edge with my good friend uh, Amy Nelson. So, Brandon, where can people find you when you're not taking baths in sulfur pits because you can't smell eggs? You know why I actually do that? I actually have a reason for so frequently being in the sulfur pits. Oh, and what's that? So I have an this? excuse for why I always smell like farts. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. You can find me over on the Babel Conference. You can find me here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And we just recorded episodes 100, and 101 was recorded a little while ago, but 100 will be coming soon. Christopher Jones talked about his five favorite tracks, some of his five favorite tracks from uh, all the music of Star Trek, so watch for that coming very soon. And you can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, where we talk about Hitchcock films on Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And Zach Moore from Standard Orbit and myself, we have a podcast called Franchise Fatigue, and we are smack dab in the middle of the Godfather series that we're recording right now with with, uh, one of our associate producers, Chris Trebuzio. So we're going to be covering all three of the Godfather films. 
And you can find me where else? I think that's pretty much it. Every once in a while, I poke my head up on the uh, on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network with uh, with um, Breaking the Waves, which is my electronic film score podcast. So I'm a busy guy, but uh, I got a lot of stuff out there. So be sure to check it out. Awesome. If you'd like to help us keep all of this, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreoncom FM. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash TrekFM. At this time, we'd like to thank our wonderful associate producers who... Choose to support us, and they support Trek FM, and they support Warp 5 in particular. And we have the wonderful Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Trebuzio, and Jim McMahon. Thank you much. Thank you so very much, guys. We truly appreciate it. We couldn't do it without your support uh, because it helps to fund the network because we've got so many darn shows, and it takes a lot of money to, to uh, produce all this content for everybody. That's all we have for you this week, listeners. And remember, you can't be afraid of the wind.